The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Oh, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. Everybody make a mistake. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Boy, is that an overstatement. You are the best thing that's ever happened to people. Well, I guess you could narrow it down. Which people? Maybe one or two people. But if you're going to use people in terms of 8 billion of us, yeah, that's an overstatement. Even I, in all my humility, could not uh, accept that one. I have to disavow that one. Thanks for joining me here. This is The Doctor is In. Got a little uh, rocking chair on our front porch. You know that uh, sometimes my wife and I will sit on and have some coffee. And I noticed something. This is uh, starting to shake me up. I don't know if I'm getting older, but I was sitting in a rocking chair, and I couldn't get it going. Remember when you were a kid, and you got on the swing, and somebody said, you got to give me a push so I can start pumping? you got to give me a push. I told my wife, I said, honey, you got to give me a push here. Get, get, me, get me rocking. <laughs> it's a good thing I don't have to do that here on the program. This is E-Person Monday, where I get a chance to dive into the stack. It used to be a stack. It's not a stack anymore. Now it's a scroll. You know one thing bad about having smartphones, among the many, many, many things about smartphones? When you used to get mad when somebody could call you, you could slam down the receiver. Remember that? You just slam it down. But on a smartphone, what do you what do you what do you do? Do you just how do you how do you just punch disconnect? You can't really tell you're punching it hard. Anyway, we will get to that. There was is a movie called Nefarious. Highly recommend it. It's now streamed. If you have Amazon Prime or one of those streaming services, it's there. It probably costs you five bucks to get the movie. Highly recommend it. It is a portrayal of demonic possession. But it isn't Hollywood... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever Hollywood does to sensationalize, that's the word. No, it's not Hollywood sensationalized. Nothing like The Exorcist. It's a, a portrayal of evil. But it isn't evil in the sense that you, you are, are frightened. It's eye-opening. And I have heard some exorcists say that it was the most realistic portrayal that they'd seen. And in the discussion that the possessed prisoner was having, and the, and the devil was speaking uh, through him a fair amount of the time, to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist said something to the effect of, uh, we, we've progressed, we've progressed talking about how society's gotten better and the devil was snickering and said, we, we, uh, we, we've, uh, we've attempted to eliminate hate speech. And the 
prisoner said, as the devil was speaking through him, the demon was speaking through him. Yeah, that's a good one. We didn't even come up with that one. And it was a fascinating way to put it. Think about this. If you want to invalidate, if you want to neutralize, beyond neutralize, if you want to essentially sabotage and torpedo moral talk, and you can succeed in getting it labeled hate speech, because who who wants to hate, right? Nobody wants to hate. Even the secularists who don't believe that there's a God says you shouldn't hate, which I find fascinating anyway, because how can they say that? If there's no God and you want to hate, you hate, right? What's the big deal? So, so it's socially not cool, but hey, there's nothing right or wrong about it because there's no God. But I found it fascinating that the demon was impressed with what our culture had developed in the way of labeling anything that was traditionally moral or anything that did not morally accept whatever the culture says you have to accept as hate speech. Think about this now. It's a frightening thing because there are other countries that are further down the line than we are. But it's coming here that you can actually be persecuted for saying something that somebody finds as threatening hate speech. They label it. If you say, I think marriage should be this, and somebody says, how dare you? How dare you think that? That is offensive. It's hate-filled. And it's threatening to my well-being. It's a brilliant move. I mean, from a purely (laughs) pathological perspective, it's brilliant. It's one thing to say that moral talk is a difference in the way that the dominant culture looks at things. One one perspective of many, or one perspective that many don't like. That's one thing. But to decide that in saying it, which something that 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, would have been recognized as a moral stance that pretty much had been a guiding moral stance in our culture is now hatred. Hatred. And I find it ironic that someone who, for the most part, doesn't believe in the way God says to do things can label something hate. Because if if God is not involved in all of this, then... What I say isn't hate. It's just sort of something you don't agree with. It's fascinating. When the demon said that to the psychiatrist, he said, yeah, that's a good one. We didn't even come up with that one. I thought to myself, that's brilliant. It's brilliant. The ability to convince 
huge segments of our culture that if you say anything that anybody finds morally distasteful, you're a hater. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Doesn't mean it's good brilliant. It's devious brilliant. But it's fascinating. Highly recommend the movie Nefarious. All right, when we come back, I'm going to see what I got here in the way of e-persons. This is Dr. Ray. He was a doctor of the church, a Carmelite, and one of the most famous mystics of all time. Matthew Bunsen and the doctors of the church. St. John of the Cross wanted to help all Christians to become saints. One of his most important teachings was to encourage us all to learn how to love. For there is no love, he said, put love, and you will find love. He died in 1591. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. Do you have a lonely brain? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Loneliness, only enhanced during the pandemic, can actually help alter certain brain patterns, which can lead to various mental health issues like anxiety and depression. Your physical health can be challenged. Even with social media, loneliness is described as an epidemic. Loneliness can be complex, and there's a stigma associated with it. But mindfulness training, what you and I may call quiet and holy time, has been shown to combat loneliness. Pray more. Breathe deeply. Increase your list of friends. Even force being more social. Don't be afraid to gather or appropriately touch others. A hug or a fist bump can signal that you are present with somebody. Let's not forget our priests and religious sisters and brothers. When was the last time you hugged your priest? If you sense somebody you know is lonely, ask them how you can help. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on the lonely brain at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. You know who my new best friend is? Pharmacist. Yeah, been seeing that guy a lot these days. This is Dr. Ray. Thank you for joining me on The Doctor Is In. This is the variant, Monday variant of The Doctor Is In. Dr. Ray, my relationship with my mom is very awkward. I guess you may say, I suffer from the mom wound. Now, okay, let me stop there. I I have trouble with the exaggerated kind of talk that psychology has pushed into our lexicon. Toxic. Wound. 
narcissist. I mean, these are these are words that are heavy. And if you say I have a mom wound, I'm not trivializing the fact that there was a bad relationship there and maybe a lot of neglect or or some some stuff that is tough to get over. But anyway, we'll find out about this wound. I've been struggling for years trying to talk to her about issues when I was younger. She will not have it. That's not a surprise. Generally, when you approach somebody to say, this is what you did in the past, they're either going to be shocked that you saw it that way, because they didn't, or they don't want to go there. Very few people will say, well, well tell me about it. Tell me about it, and, and let, me, let me see what I can do to make it better. Okay, Because, well, first of all, <laughs> you've already said that they've been a problem when you were growing up. So why would you expect that they would now accept when you tell them how you saw things? Ah. Okay, let's see what it is. In your book... She's talking about the marriage book. You helped me to uncover my 16-year-old self and brought me much closer. I've been seeking practically all of my life. My dad died when I was 16. He was having many strokes, and one day during surgery, he had a major stroke. It was a roller coaster week. He died eventually a week later. My mom... On the other hand, even before he died, was searching for another man while in the hospital. My mom sought another man, neglected me in the process, me being the youngest of multiples. Some of the siblings were newly married, starting their own families, and my sister and I decided to move in with my brother and sister-in-law while I was still in high school. My mom blames me for it and says how much they did for me Actually, I then moved in with my sister and brother-in-law, seeing as how I wanted to be with my classmates. Okay, so basically what mom is saying is that you're leaving me. You abandoned me. And she didn't look at it as if to say, well, I can sort of understand why you'd be unsettled about all this, because in fact, uh, I immediately started looking for another guy shortly there after your father's passing. Uh, I forgive my mom, but the scars remain. Let me comment on that. Um, when we say the scars remain, are we saying that we can't get past them? Because scars are something that are with you all the time. So that even if you have a major cut and it scars... It's always there. Maybe it's sore. Maybe it's tight skin. Maybe it's easily irritated. So what we say is, I, I can't let go of my past. I was mistreated. I was neglected. I didn't have a parent that acted as a parent should act. And so therefore, therefore, uh, I, I, I still struggle with this. Now, 
don't mishear me. I'm, I'm not trivializing it. But I'm saying that for the most part, to move forward in peace, we've got to look back on this stuff and say, yes, I didn't get what I had hoped I would get. I didn't get the love I thought I would get. I didn't get the treatment I thought I would get from the person that's most uh, supposed to love you the most, your mom. I didn't get it. All right. It's time for me to move on now. I'm a, I'm a grown-up. My husband talks to me about it. He's always there for me. But my mom will always blame me. And whenever I want closure to close the da- gap, our relationship weakens. Yeah, that's right, because she doesn't want to hear it. She doesn't want you to bring this stuff up. Whether she, somewhere down deep, recognizes she wasn't the best mom in the world and she doesn't want to be reminded of it, or whether down deep she has justification for what she did, when you bring it up, she sees you as attacking her, assaulting her, putting her down. Dr. Ray. Dr. Ray, after all she did to me, and I'm just trying to bring up to get some closure and find out what's going on, and she's reacting that way? Yes. Yes, she is. And that's pretty consistent. If you say that she was a very self-absorbed, neglectful mother, I would expect she doesn't want to hear that she was a self-absorbed, neglectful mother. I went to counseling. When I did eventually move back home with her, I'm going to assume that was probably late high school. But seeing as the therapist wanted to see her as well, she no longer told me to go. Yeah, the mom didn't want to talk to the therapist either. That's no surprise. Ever since being 16 and being all over, I imagine that means living different places. Plus, my mom would start rumors about me with my other siblings that didn't help my relationship with them or her either. Yeah, that's damage. Okay, that is definitely damage. However, you can do what you can to get the siblings to, to understand that that wasn't the whole story, what you're being told. I find it like climbing Mount Everest in order to talk to her about such a thing. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. Absolutely. Of course you would. It's a simple... I don't want to say a simple relationship, a straightforward relationship. The uglier someone acted toward you in the past, the less likely they will be open to hearing about that, no matter how gently you would approach it. Think about this. If their personality is such that I can do these things over a long period of time that were neglectful or hurtful or whatever they are, why would I want to revisit them and talk about them now? My mom will just say that she did so much for me and that I should just move on, and that is all I get from her. I get nothing at all, and I have to admit it really hurts me a lot. Well, okay, this is, this is where I get in trouble. Why does it hurt you a lot? Dr. Ray, what are you talking about? Of course it hurts you a lot. That's your mom. Your mom doesn't want to hear how she's hurt you, and she shuts you down when you try to approach it. 
the reason it hurts you a lot is because you're saying it shouldn't have been that way. My mom shouldn't have been like that. I shouldn't have had to deal with that growing up. All of which is true. The problem is, it was that way. And so to say, I'm hurt. Why can't she, why can't she see what she was like? Why can't she see the way she treated me? Because that's part of who she is. It's not a good part. It's part of who she is. My suggestion would be you quit. Quit trying to revisit it. There's no way. You're going to get smacked down every time. To get along with her, you're going to have to have kind of a, a pleasantly civil relationship and avoid the emotional topics. That's kind of what, kind of what you're forced into. Okay, where are we at here? Did I just do that one? <laughs> Our daughter's four. She recently threw up for the first time now and is refusing to eat food except for baby pouches, pureed fruit and veggies. When she's tried solid food, she freaks out and spits it out, grabs out the bits from her mouth. She says she's afraid she'll choke and says she can't swallow. It's been five days and we're getting worried. Well, Mom, the first thing you got to do is you got to take her to a, an ENT or a pediatric person specializing in this area. You got to find out that there's there's nothing wrong, maybe a, a throat constriction or, or, or something, something where she had a bad experience and something's caught in her throat. If you can eliminate at least identifiable physical problems, then what you may have to do is start introducing very slowly more solid food. And you'll tie that solid food into her privileges. Honey, if you if you want to watch TV, you're going to have to try this piece of chicken or piece of turkey. Something something that's easy to chew, something similar. You're not gonna get her some you're not gonna get her some uh, hard crusted bread or something like that. But make sure first that there's nothing physiologically going on. Um, not unusual that little kids will do this kind of thing. Little kids get themselves on a roll. And if something happens that they have to try to interpret, for example, she might say, I had some food and it was really hard for me to swallow and now that's freaking me out. Because they're little kids. And you can't reason with a little kid and say, you're not in danger. You're fine. Nothing's going to happen. Because all she knows is the emotional reaction she had. She's four years old. This happens a lot. This is, this is parallel to those kids who, who go through phases where they don't want to be apart from mom and they, and they freak out if mom goes to another room. Or, or any time a storm comes by, they quiver and they, and they run under the couch. You know, these kind of things develop as kids get older. And for the most part, they outgrow them because they find out that the things that they were worried about happening don't happen. There's no danger to a thunderstorm, for the most part. And there's going to be no danger for her chewing a piece of, of cake for perhaps her birthday. Something that she finds out, yeah, I can, I can eat this. So maybe introducing, inch by inch, a little more variety of foods, 
that she can try and tying that into her privileges, her immediate privileges. But make sure first nothing physically has gone on. All right. There you go, Mom. This is Dr. A program here. The doctor is in. The version of the program, the variant of the program, is EP1.2. E-Person Monday.2. Thank you for joining me. Music is here. Father Benedict Rochelle. I'm going to tell you about the most abused woman I ever met in my life. You know her name as Roe, as in Roe versus Wade. I talked to Roe. This woman is a great penitent. This woman is a humble person who was deeply hurt. She was kneeling in the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, the National Shrine in Washington when I met her. And I thought, what reverence. I didn't know who this woman was, but she was praying with reverence, with great fervor. And I asked a priest friend of mine, who is that? And he says, oh, that's Roe. God is not mocked. This woman was abused by those who propagate the killing of children. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Is the ecclesial ministry of the Catholic Church personal as well as sacramental and collegial in character? The Catechism says yes. Jesus Christ, the founder of the Catholic Church, calls his ministers personally when he says, follow me. The College of Bishops are related to the pontiff in Rome as Peter was related to the rest of the apostles. When Christ instituted the twelve apostles, he constituted them in a college or permanent assembly at the head of which he placed Peter, the rock of his church. Our Lord gave Peter the keys to his church, designating him the shepherd of the whole flock. The power Christ gave Peter to loose and to bind was also given to the college of the apostles united to its head. This pastoral office of Peter and the other apostles belongs to the church's very foundation and is continued by the bishops under the primacy of the Pope. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Nice to have you with me, Dr. Ray Garendi. Thank you for joining me on The Doctor's In. This is E-Person Monday. Let's get to it. Dr. Ray, we're a blended family, married in a Catholic church after annulment. We've been together for the last seven years. We have five children between us, and the youngest, a girl, just turned 21. She's in college. 
living at college. <laughs> and uh, mom puts in parentheses, I know, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> she is very sweet and compliant, works hard. She's incredibly smart and lovely. Okay, mom's got to put, put together the accolades here. Before we turn to the problem, she's had some depression for a while, but not in therapy or talking to anyone either. She's very responsible, isn't letting the depression keep her from being active. Uh, I wonder what that depression's about in the sense that she may be discontent about a lot of things, but she's still relatively functioning. Uh, I saw a recent statistic was frightening. 50% of teenagers say they don't like their life. So, in many respects, that would be probably diagnosed as some kind of depression, although it may not be. I mean, it might be just content, discontent. She's working part-time at a restaurant where she met a boy going to the same school. He's not a good fit, let's just say. I don't like him being her boyfriend at all. Well, my question is, how much do you know about him? How, obviously, you probably haven't met him. I don't know if she's brought him home. Maybe only what she's told you about him. So, how much, how much information do we have? She's spending a lot of time with this boy, including, I'm almost positive, overnight. I have an app that can pin her location. <laughs> My question is, is there anything I can do? Well, when they're away at college, you are dramatically limited in any kind of supervision, any kind of leverage short of how much you're paying for. She is my stepdaughter. Her mother is out of the picture. Should I tell my husband? Mom, why would you not? Why, why would you keep this from him? Do you, do you expect that he would react uh, in ways that you'd find uh, inappropriate? What, what would be the reason you wouldn't tell him? I'm praying for her all the time. But what can I do? Well, if she's going to stay at that college, there's not much you can do other than the appropriate time you can ask her more about this boy and what she finds appealing in him. What is it that attracts her to him? If you start to dispute him as being bad for her, she can easily say, you don't know him. I know him. But you said a couple of other things here, Mom. You said that she kind of wrestled with depression. So I would wonder how much this guy makes her feel good. Makes her feel loved, accepted, liked. Bright spot 
in her what she what she sees as an otherwise kind of drab life. You kind of implied early on in the E person that she was a what's the word you used here? Sweet, compliant. So she's always been obedient. So this guy may be part of her rebellion. So several questions. One, how do you know he's not a good fit for? What what do you actually know other than probably what she's told you? Or maybe you've scoped his Facebook page. Two, if you can talk with her and just explore, don't dispute, explore what it is that she finds so appealing. Three, if they have had physical relations, that's going to make this much more complicated because now she's got she's got a tie to him. An emotional tie, physical tie, and that's going to make this relationship harder to break. Four, you can say, well, we suspect you're having relations with him and we don't want to be a part of that we don't want to cooperate in that so we're not going to pay for your college you could say that i mean you have every right to say that you can say i'm i'm not going to pay for you living an immoral lifestyle i don't know how she'll react to that but you that's certainly with within your options but the other thing is when you tell dad, does he have more leverage than you? Or would he say something like, well, she's 21 years old. She can do what she wants. We can't do anything about it. I mean, how would he react? Are you thinking that he would justify what she's doing? Are you thinking that he would overreact? What is it that is keeping you from telling him about this? Will he trivialize it? Will he say, well, you can't know. Okay, just so you have an app and she's at some guy's apartment doesn't mean she's doing anything. And if you confront her, she'll probably deny it. So I think all those things you can do, Mom, to kind of get a little bit more to the bottom of this. But this is a real common thing that happens. Many parents have their kids go off to college to get a Bachelor of Arts degree which by and large they probably won't use a whole lot, if you look at the stats, um, to run up loans and to essentially be able to live the way they want to live. And the college environment is not exactly a moral one. So your daughter could be getting pulled into that scene and you kind of have to decide, okay, how do we approach this? If you say he's not a good fit, what exactly does that mean? Personality-wise? Or is there something about him? He goes to the same college, so perhaps he's working. Who, who knows? But we gotta get got to get a lot more information here.
Connection with Teresa Tomio. I encourage you to look at a report that came out several years ago by Americans United for Life. It's called Unsafe. And this idea is something else that has been pushed out there by the media and by Planned Parenthood and other pro-abortion organizations, that there are all these safety measures that were put into place when Roe versus Wade became legal. But as Father Frank Pavone and so many others say, abortion never, ever, ever changed, really. It went from the back alley to Main Street with little or no restrictions or protections. Many of the independent abortion facilities are less regulated than your local nail salon or hair salon. The fact that they have to quote unquote work on their messaging shows that we are making a difference. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio, weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. An advanced care planning document, or ACP, is one kind of advanced directive, providing a written statement of a person's desired medical treatments in the future. A recent study titled, What's Wrong with Advanced Care Planning?, concluded that there is a gap between hypothetical scenarios and real-world decision-making. Another study found that 80% of emergency room physicians misinterpreted an ACP as a do-not-resuscitate order. Another issue is that any disagreement between medical professionals and the patient's healthcare agent regarding specific ACP language may undermine the patient's ultimate wishes. Your best bet is never to sign an advanced care planning document, such as a pulse form when admitted to a hospital. And make sure your healthcare durable power of attorney has a provision which invalidates any previously signed ACP. This medical moment brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. Dr. Ray the Brat Whisperer. Good to have you with me. Imagine when we had all the kids at home. Never realized my favorite room in the house would be the bathroom. Good to have you with me. All right. This is E-Person Monday. <clears throat> I need to know, Dr. Ray, how to handle in-laws. We are parents of the husband. Okay. Who, when we are together with the grandchildren, completely take over with them. Grandkids are all girls, 4, 3, and 18 months. The other grandparents take their hands when walking, insist on putting them to bed, engage in playtime. For example, if... One says, let's go color, my four-year-old says. They get up from where they're sitting and just leave us sitting there. They are constantly telling them about their next trip or any trip. Make sure they sit next to them. Help them with their mealtime. It goes on and on. To the point that children don't engage with us. Even answer us. Oh, boy. It hurts my husband and I so much. After most visits, I cry all the way home, and I feel pure anger at this. I never thought being a grandparent would be so difficult. Apparently, 
They want to make sure that they are number one in these little girls' eyes. And they want no competition. Nobody at all. My first question is, does your son see this? Now, it may be that his wife has a definite bent toward her parents and their attachment to the grandkids. So, in fact, she she loves this. Will he do anything? Will he say anything to her? Can he say anything to her to allow you to, to share some time? That's one thing. Second thing, I would see if you can find time to go and visit with the girls without them there. I mean, clearly, when you're all there, they're taking over. Because their attitude is, we're number one, you stay out of the way. That's sad that they're doing that. But again, you know, I've been a shrink for a long time, and I'm just not shocked at what people do. Doesn't doesn't shock me. Now, you said something interesting. You said I cry all the way home. And I was going to say, before I read that last part, that at some point you're going to get very angry. You're going to erupt. And, of course, they'll probably look at you like, what are you talking about? Are you insecure or what? We're just trying to be nice grandparents. That's probably what will happen if and when you do erupt. So, I would suggest, one, you talk to your son. If you already have and nothing has changed, then in all likelihood, uh, this is some kind of agreement that he's accepted with his wife. They recognize when all four grandparents are there, you're low dog, you're bottom of the birdcage, you're last week's news. That's one. Two, I definitely would try to find time to be there without them there. No question. And I would take the girls somewhere. Take them to a park or take them to get a little donut somewhere. Definitely. No question about that. I would do that. Third, I know why you're getting so upset. Besides the fact that this is really kind of self-absorbed on the other grandparents' part. Your view is, I'm never going to have a relationship with my granddaughters because they've totally taken over and they've squeezed us out of their lives. So what we thought would be our role as grandparents, warmly interacting with our grandchildren, has been crushed. Well, one thing is you don't know that. You don't know that as the girls get older... They will see this, and some of their loyalties might shift. They will. Right now, they're four and three, so they can easily be manipulated. The other grandparents will dangle all kinds of goodies and things in front of them and all manner of were your favorite grandparent-type messages, and the four- and the three-year-old will just buy into it. Why wouldn't they? They're four and three. However, that does not mean when they're eight and nine that this dynamic won't shift. 
So that's the first thing. So do not do not tell yourself, I'll never have a relationship with my grandchildren as long as they're part of the kids' lives. That's not true. Right now they're trying to squeeze you out for their own ends. But that doesn't mean it's the way it's going to be. So don't cry all the way home. Don't do that. Don't tell yourself, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I, I had grandchildren and now I don't. I don't have grandchildren. I don't have anything. Part of it, too, is you're still there. And even though they attempt to monopolize the girls as much as they can, you probably can still get in a few, a few moments of connection. So all these things are to be considered. This is Dr. Ray. The doctor will be with you in just a moment. I feel better! Dr. Ray has more great advice coming up. Don't go anywhere. Ciao, amici. Hello, friends. Teresa Tomio here. Ever notice that common sense isn't so common anymore? Each time we check our news feeds or turn on the TV, it seems the world is getting wackier. While we desperately need a return to basic common sense. And Rosie Posey, my mom, a street smart theologian from Jersey City, is just the person we need to help us restore it. So if you need a little bit more help with some common sense or know someone else who needs it, pick out my new book on our store, Everything's Coming Up Rosie, at AveMariaRadio.net's online store. Time is God's creation. He actualizes his plan of salvation in time and in space. We live at that interface between time and eternity. And that is never more visible to us as in the liturgy where heaven touches earth. That's where our attention catches a glimpse of eternity. And then, unfortunately, the veil falls too quickly back over our eyes. Time passes. Memory fades, willpower weakens, our attention gets restless and flitters uh, between the urgent and the important, the trivial, the profound. In and of itself, time serves nothing. It improves nothing. But through the church calendar, Christ is restructuring time to assist in our sanctification. Cresta in the afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Last segment of E-Person Monday. I'm Dr. Ray. Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. We do only have just a few spots left open on our pilgrimage to Italy. Myself and Father Leo Petalino in October. 12 days, man. All over the place, including a papal mass. Getting to go see um, St. Padre Pio's incorrupt body. All kinds of neat stuff. So if you go to my website, drray.com, D-R-R-A-Y.com, you can chase some information there. 
what is the psychology and Catholic answer to Joan of Arc hearing voices? One, I have to plead ignorance. I have not heard that. But let me, for argument's sake, assume that it is true that Joan of Arc had heard voices. The question becomes, were those voices part of a auditory hallucination? Or was she referring, like many very faithful people do, that, that they, hear, they hear God talking to them, not as a voice but as a sense, something within them, that they hear the message from God to do something or to act a certain way. Okay, so I would really have to know about that. But let's take it all the way out. Let's say that Joan of Arc actually had periods, spells, and we don't know how often, how many, because she was very young when she was martyred. Let's say that she did hear voices. Does that keep her from becoming a declared saint in the Catholic Church? No, not at all. Of course not. Because that is not the sum total of her personality. Yes, but if she's hearing voices, that implies there's a psychotic process going on. I've dealt with many people who have heard voices. And they recognize that the voices are not real. They recognize that that's something in their head. Or they are not influenced by the voices. Or even if they think the voices are somehow real, the other 99% of their personality is stable. So Joan of Arc, in her holiness, in her bravery could have heard supposed voices, but that doesn't impact her holiness. I have a friend of our family who many, many years ago had a psychotic break. He's definitely one of the holier guys I know. But he had a lot of psychotic symptoms. But those psychotic symptoms did not keep him from seeking God. So that even when he had spells of more exacerbated psychosis, ultimately when he pulled out of it or he stabilized or he became somewhat clear, uh, he's a very religious guy, very moral guy. So, indeed, the answer to that is that would not keep St. Joan of Arc, from being declared a heroic model of the faith. Let's see what we got here. Uh, no, that's not the one I want to deal with. Let me get another one here. There's so many of them. Got enough time in this one, I'm not sure. I was cleaning the church rectory. I noticed that uh, a giant five-gallon water jug had leaked out everywhere, and it was a Saturday morning. No one around, so I flipped the jug over, put a note on it, let the employees know. Carpet was damp. There is a basement with storage below in the basement. When I had gotten to our priest's office, I noticed the door was shut, which it never is when I'm there. 
I couldn't tell if the light was on or hear if anybody was in. I still needed to clean in there, so I lightly knocked on the door to hear if any was in the office and without just walking in. Big mistake. Our priest flung the door open partway, startling me, and proceeded to say sternly to me, you've got to be kidding me, you never knock on this door when it's shut. I never knew that the three or four years I've worked there. Unbeknownst to me, he was in meeting with someone. I felt horrible for even knocking. I told him calmly that I apologize. And uh, then he paused at me as if he wanted to know why I disturbed him. So I told him about the water jug. Then he said, I don't care. And repeated sternly again, never to knock on the door. Disturb him again. I was taken back. To even have been talked to in front of a fellow parishioner like that. I walked away quickly, grabbing my cleaning supplies, put them away, and cried in the basement. He will not even look at me when he walks past. Each time it upsets me. We barely talked as it was, but to be that comfortable to talk that way over a light door knock was a bit much. I was already thinking of resigning my position, but this instance solidified my decision. I placed my two weeks. I work with families as my main job. He most definitely could have spoken to me in a different manner, but it's not the first time it's happened. I'm just concerned and confused why in general and what can be done. Well, I don't know. I don't know if, in fact, he there were parts of your personality he didn't like, and this was just a um, final piece. I don't know. I don't know anything about what that meeting was about. No idea. I think you're taking it very personally. In other words, he shouldn't have talked to me that way. Well, he did talk to you that way. So you don't take it personally. You view it as he was inappropriate. I didn't do anything. I lightly knocked on the door. I didn't do anything. He thought I did. Okay. So he got upset. Now, for whatever the reason, I'm out of there. All right. Um, the, the lesson here is anybody can act prickly. They can. Over something that you look at and say there was no reason for them to act that prickly. I didn't do anything prickly worth. True. That is true. But... When you, when you cry about this, you're, you're essentially saying he shouldn't have done this to me. Well, but that's like saying people shouldn't act bad. They do. They act inappropriate. They act nasty. No matter who they are, priest or otherwise, it happens. Okay. Well, you're not there anymore, so it's kind of an academic decision. But the lesson to be taken, I think, is that you don't absorb something and carry it with you as a burden because somebody acted wrongly. Thanks for joining me. Dr. Ray Grandy here. Program Doctor is in. Walk with God. He'll take good care of you if you let him. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. 
The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.